As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And uh, as we were preparing to, to, to do this episode, Bruce, we were realizing like not a lot happened in college football this past weekend of note. We're going to have our great friend John Walters on here in a little bit, talk Notre Dame Syracuse and, and college football television and all that. But some people may say I'm biased to say this, but I think the biggest story in college football on Saturday happened at your game. Uh, would you mean your alma mater winning its division and... and not only beating Iowa on the road, but also having Wisconsin and Purdue go down. Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. I mean, they. I mean, first of all, it's crazy that a six and four team has clinched its division with two weeks to spare. But uh, you know, going into that, going into the game, and by the way, Iowa was a ten point favorite. They needed to win two games. They either needed to win two games, two of their last three games, or like you said, they needed Wisconsin and Purdue to both lose, and they both did. Purdue in pretty humiliating fashion. So. Tell us about the game and tell us about being right in the middle of it for one of the more memorable images that went out there Saturday of uh, Pat Fitzgerald gathering his team. Well, we expected it to be frigid, and it was. The wind chill was, I think, five degrees on Friday night. It was in the teens on Saturday. And by the way, your AD Jim Phillips is a brave man. No gloves. No jacket, just a shirt and tie. I was like, are you crazy? He was like, well, the players have their uniform. This is my uniform, so I'm wearing it. I was like, okay, easier said than done. You know, it was that we knew it was going to be a low-scoring game. I did not, uh, I think it was in a 10 or 11-point spread that Iowa was the favorite, and credit to Northwestern. I mean, they they lost, they're already down a couple of defensive backs, and they lose their best defensive back, Montre Hardage. And Iowa attacked right after that. And then uh, they were down to the third string kicker and they still won. 
And it was a cool moment at the end of the game. I think people have seen the video. So I'm, you know, rushing in there to get to get Pat Fitz right after. And before that's happening, our camera guys are then, you know, there. He's rounding everybody up because he's going to break the news. So I'm in the little bit of the scrum. I don't intend to be in the middle of do, his team celebration. Do you celebration. realize at that point that, that, he, that the team doesn't know yet? Uh, I kind of had a good idea of that just because, you know, they're playing the game. They're not on Twitter. It's, you know, it's, it's <laughs> no one's going to have their phones on the sidelines. It's not a home game. It's just... I think that uh, I, I don't think they know that they know clearly know they won the game. I don't think they know that that they have uh, that Wisconsin and Purdue lost because at, at that game, it wasn't like it was, you know, Iowa has a bunch of stuff on the scoreboard, but they don't really have a lot of, you know, it wasn't like you're hearing the crowd ooh and ah over every game game uh, update that's going on. So I don't think his players knew and his SID uh, Paul Kennedy had informed him like right after the game. And so he circles everybody up. And as they're kind of all gathering, I'm like, oh, okay, I know where this is going. So like I said, it was, it was a cool scene to, to be in the middle of and to see, you know, I think that's one of the things we love about college football and college sports is just the, the genuine emotion of it all, especially, you know, look, this, you were, you know, when you were a student, that was their glory time. It's a, people know the history. They've been all, awful for a long time and now they're pretty pretty good and he's done a great job coaching them and you know that was a I, I think on our site maybe on friday scott doctorman did a really good story about what has become the what was a lopsided iowa northwestern series and all of a sudden now northwestern has has kind of molded itself similarly just built on toughness and character and and just grit, as he said it, uh, as Fitz said it, and they ended up winning the game. So really cool scene to be in the middle of. Yeah, that's. I told Scott after I read that story, I was like, if I didn't know better, I would think you were covering Northwestern in 1995 because he had every detail about the genesis of that, why that game became such a big deal for Gary Barnett and that program, the infamous uh, moment after they Iowa crushed them his first year, and Hayden Fry, as they were shaking hands, said, I hope we didn't hurt any of your boys. Uh, became the genesis of a series where, like, frankly, Northwest, it seems like Northwestern is constantly, like, the thorn in Iowa's side. I remember in 09, Iowa was undefeated, thinking national championship, they beat them in Iowa City. Uh, there's just been a lot of games like that. Obviously, this one didn't really impact Iowa, other than it's now officially a really disappointing season there. Um, in terms of the Northwestern side of it, you know, I gotta admit, I got really into that game. I, did, I assumed I'd be watching mostly Bedlam during that window, but as I think once I realized that Minnesota uh, was going to clobber Purdue and that this really was for the for the division, I watched it pretty pretty closely. Um, like you said, they had to overcome a lot to win that game. But I just want to put this in perspective for people. I got a lot of I wasn't even like you know tweeting as a Northwestern fan, so just like the the facts of it, the fact that they clinched the division, and you immediately get back all the snarky. Well, they're just going to lose by fifty in the championship game. Um, which, first of all, if it is Michigan, the score was 20-17 to 17 the first time they played. Maybe it'll be by 50, but I'm not sure where that's coming from. But, you know, you're missing the point. Like, if this were Alabama, Ohio State, whoever, you know, one of those programs winning the division, not a big deal. For Northwestern to actually go play in the Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis is one of the biggest accomplishments in the history of that program. You know, it's not like uh, they've won the Big Ten three times in the last... 50 or 60 years, the most recent being 2000. Um, 
they, you know, they've gone to a lot of bowl games recently, obviously. And even those, like when I remember when they won the Gator Bowl a few years ago, that was a really big deal. Um, beating Pitt in the Pinstripe Bowl was a big deal. Winning this division is a big deal for them. So uh, let them have their moment, you know. Maybe they, they honestly probably will not beat Michigan or Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. But I can tell you this much. I'm on a group text thread with a bunch of my friends from college, you know, year-round. And they're all going. They're all going to Indianapolis. It's that big a deal. So kudos been, to Pat Fitzgerald and his staff. A, it's been quite a few years for you. For you, uh, a couple of years ago, Northwestern basketball finally made the tournament. And yep. was that two years ago? That was two years ago. And now this? It's been a you know, and they opened that huge, great facility. So yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really good time for them in athletics. And uh, who would have guessed after they lost at home to Akron and Duke as well at home? Although Duke's a pretty good team, that they would not only win the Big Ten West. And remember, go back to August. The consensus was Wisconsin was going to run away with the Big Ten West. You know. They were, you picked them, we both picked them to go to the playoff. And if it wasn't going to be Wisconsin, then it was probably going to be Iowa. Um, you know, they beat all those teams. They beat Purdue, they beat Nebraska. They've actually won, what, 12 of their last 13 Big Ten games or 13 of their last 14, something like that? It is weird, though, because, like you said, they lost to Akron. They're 0-3 in their non-conference. It is, a, you know, like, it is a very odd team in that regard. You know, we had their game against Wisconsin a couple weeks ago. And there was no Alex Hornerbrook. It was it was Jack Cohen making his first action of the season. They really struggled. It was some of it looked like it was some some self inflicted stuff that Wisconsin did. I remember coming away from that game and going, eh, I don't know if these guys are very good, but they did win the game at home. I was more impressed by what I saw this past weekend than I was certainly a couple weeks ago. But um, you know, all that matters is you win the games, and they're winning the games that matter. And so, who knows? I mean, it's not going to help. Michigan or Ohio State, probably their profile much to beat, you know, because if they beat Northwestern, Northwestern at best would be a eight and five team. So I don't think they would be in the top 25 at that point. But, um, you know, I actually look. think they if they win these next two against Minnesota, and Illinois, and they're eight and four going into that game, they probably will be in the top 25 just because. No, I'm saying if they lose it, then I think they'd fall. Oh, so, I don't know. The committee has just has gone both ways on that. Sometimes they don't penalize the team for actually playing the extra game. But regardless, I mean, Northwestern made the top 25 this week at the AP top 25 at six and four. It's a really weird year where you've got these teams that have been at the top all year. There are only two teams in the whole two uh, power five teams in the whole country right now that have exactly two losses being LSU and uh, Syracuse. And then the rest of the top 25 is all three lost teams. And it's really unusual. I looked it up. Usually there's between seven and 10, two lost teams at this point in the season. They're only we're down to two. So it would not surprise me if an eight and five team was in the top twenty-five. But regardless, you know, I think we both agree that if Michigan and Ohio State win the rest of their games, they're going to the playoff. Mm-hmm. What do you say we get to our guest? Let's do it. All right, we're pleased to be joined now by one of our absolute favorite recurring podcast guests. He's come on many times. John Walters, author of the world famous Bubble Screen Saturday College Football TV recap column on. The Athletic, and also avid Notre Dame fan who I'm sure, John, when the season began, you had it circled on your calendar. The game of the year would be Notre Dame-Syracuse. At least five stops away on the D train from my apartment. I, you know, it's, it's the road trip that everybody can make. Notre Dame-Syracuse, Yankee Stadium. Is Francesca uh, going to be talking about this game now that, now that he knows who the head coach is? <laughs> you know, by now he probably knows who Dino Babers is, so... Perhaps so, dog. 
it, it, it's funny. I, as, as you guys know, we do these like state of the program pieces for the, the athletic where it's basically giant previews for every team. And my favorite one to do last spring was, was Syracuse because I'd never met Dino Babers before. And I just, just love the guy. And, and I'm not sure how much time either of you two have spent with him, but just a great person to talk to and friendly. And I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for both teams on Saturday. I'm mm. curious. So Matt, how does that work? <laughs> does that work? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're Notre Dame's. How, how how can this work out for both parties? You obviously want Notre Dame to win and make the playoff. It can't. Yeah. No, it obviously cannot. Uh, as, as you know, just I'm a Notre Dame alum. Do you, uh, you know that so you I'm want gonna... you want Notre Dame to win in a high scoring game and Dino to get screwed by bad officiating, so there's an excuse of why they lost. <laughs> I just. I, I have this like fear that Eric Dungey's going to get hurt, and you know, backup Tommy DeVito is going to win the game for Syracuse, and I'm going to hear all these Joe Pesci references for the next two weeks, um, <laughs> and that could be that could be miserable. And and I know like your listeners are going to hate me even more now, but I'm also because of birth a Yankee fan, and I'm thinking like my two favorite teams are going to see their their season end inside Yankee Stadium same in the same you know six-week period that's also a fear uh here but uh it's it's going to be an entertaining game because you guys have seen Syracuse they're they're a good team yeah yeah I think that you know at the time when they gave such a scare to Clemson you know that was uh what's wrong with Clemson moment even though they were down to their third Mm -hmm. quarterback and now it's like oh that was actually a really good win for for Clemson they're one of the only teams yeah they kept Notre Dame kept Syracuse from scoring uh 40 points but so Matt Fortuna reminded me of this last week. You know, usually with these neutral site games, they're announced years ahead of time. I forgot that this was a Notre Dame home game that got moved to Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. just last December, like not that long ago. Uh, given the, con- the stakes now, how much do you think Jack Swarbrick and Brian Kelly are kicking themselves that they're not playing <laughs> this one in South Bend? But you know, I mean, honestly, November in South Bend, the last 15 years, even... That's not a that's not a gimme. I mean, Notre Dame has lost to Syracuse in November. I was at that game in South Bend. They've lost to Louisville. They've lost to Virginia Tech. They've lost to Northwestern. They've lost to Navy. Notre Dame knows how to lose at home in South Bend in November. So, from that standpoint, I don't think that makes much of a difference. Whereas they're actually two and zero in the new Yankee Stadium, if I recall correctly. So, I really. You know, I, I don't think they're kicking themselves that much. And I know people have made a big deal about this Notre Dame's traveling, you know, the last month or so. But I think even that story is a little bit overblown. Uh, if you follow it, they had two weeks before the Navy game, plus one week where they weren't even attending school because they had a fall break. The, the, the road game in Northwestern, as you guys know, is about a two and a half hour bus ride. Then they're home. And really, the only traveling is this week to Syracuse. And then they're going to go play a team that's almost as poorly coached as Florida State Thanksgiving weekend at USC. If you've, you know, USC, I think Notre Dame, it's such a weird year. Like, Syracuse is the scary team of the final three. Who figured that out, right? Uh, So let me ask you this. This team looks like it should be a playoff team right now. And now there's no Harry Heastan. They lost that great side of the offensive line, but they seem to have reloaded really well. Ian Book looks like he is throwing the ball a lot better than Everett Golson once did. So I'm going to ask you, do you think this team now would have to win two games, not one, mm-hmm. is is better suited 
to to win a win a title than the 2012 team was? It, to win a title, yes, but in a world with Alabama, I don't think anybody's well suited to win a title. But they're a better team than the 2012 team, without a doubt. And it, it starts really to me like with Ian Book because. Even when I go back to watching him start against North Carolina in 2017, uh, and I don't know if you guys had a chance to see that game, I doubt it, but from the beginning, this was a guy who looked comfortable in the pocket, whose footwork was fantastic, whose vision, this is a quarterback. He's not an athlete who plays quarterback. He's a quarterback. And you just got the sense watching him that if I were a coach, I'd be very comfortable with this guy because he makes really good decisions. I actually think he got... Uh, he, he got pushed back three spaces further than he should have been because of one pick six at Miami later in the season where, you know, they put him in because Wimbush was struggling. He throws the pick six. And if you've noticed since then, they don't, they don't make him make throws like that. He's six feet tall. It's tough for him to make throws short slant and passes over the middle because uh, he gets blinded. But when they put him in a position to succeed, that guy just makes really good decisions. Yeah, I think people forget that the 2012 team was legitimately really good on defense. Yes, Alabama took it to them that night, but in general, right. the course of the season, that was a really good defense. But their offense was basically just try, <laughs> sit, cross your fingers and hope right. every Golson doesn't turn it over. And this this is a real right, offense. And bring in Tommy Reese. Yeah, you know Tommy Reese was a relief pitcher in a few games that year. What's interesting about this team is is how comfortable it's been for Notre Dame fans. I mean, they have led in nothing but led in eight of their 10 games. They, they trailed briefly three, nothing at Wake Forest and then took the lead on the very next possession. The, the only scary game this team has had has been Pitt. And as we've seen, Pitt's turned out to be better than you thought. Like this has been a team that's really been in control of most games, not in the way that Alabama or Clemson is no, no doubt, but they've been up by 10 at least for the majority of most of the games they've been playing, which for longtime Notre Dame viewers, uh, post Holtz, it's a rarity to have a, such a you know cataclysm-free season. Wow, you rarely get that word in our podcast, Stu. And there it was, <laughs> cataclysm. Well, John so, is nothing if not a wordsmith. It's close to catechism, and I'm Catholic, so you know it had to happen. Yeah. Uh, so let's ask you this. So <laughs> I watch. I, I want to try to watch College Game Day as much as I can, depending on our, our own crew game schedule. But I saw a lot of it. And I saw they were poking mm-hmm. you quite a bit indirectly <laughs> with some of the discussion. And your fa- I know you like Desmond. I like Desmond a lot, too. How frustrating is it for Notre Dame fans to sit back and watch this and have people kind of saying, all right, yeah, I know you beat Michigan, but that was a long time ago. And wait, <laughs> what are you if Ohio State whips Michigan? Then, you know, that's going to, yeah, they have a loss. Okay, it was to Purdue and it was a blowout. But okay, you know. They have a conference title game. And yeah, so what? It's going to be against the Northwestern team that, that Notre Dame beat up on and didn't win a non-conference game. Are Notre Dame fans going feeling pretty good about we went out and everything? Or are they just like getting frustrated with people? What I think is happening is, and Stewie, correct me if I'm wrong, because you did your column about it today. I feel like there's a little bit of manufactured drama from with us within the national the media because fake right now there's nothing to talk about with the with the playoffs. Right. Why, why were they debating Michigan Notre Dame? They would both be in if the season ended today, and if it did somehow come down to some argument between the two of them, Michigan would have no case. Why? This is the stupidest. Well, made I'll up tell you drama. why I think they're why I think they're making this debate. Besides, I agree with you that part of this is a manufactured. Nobody wants to play Alabama. If you're four, you're playing Alabama. So I think 
right now, that is part of it. What I can't understand is why they're debating Michigan Notre Dame when the real debate is Michigan Georgia. That's the debate. Georgia's had a very good season, and I I would be curious to see what Vegas would do Georgia versus Michigan in in a in a, a neutral site. I'm I'm not saying that Georgia is better than Michigan. I'm saying that's where the debate should actually be. Well, you think if Georgia wins out, that Michigan would go ahead of them if they're if they're to me, if Georgia beats Alabama, that's going to be the best win of the season. I don't care that they would have lost by 20 at LSU. They're going. Well, but there, and again, but here's some, you know, there's, there's always moving parts. Who's the quarterback for Alabama that day? What happens if Tua is hurt uh, playing against Auburn? Uh, but, but, and even though, let's go to your question even further. Let's say Georgia wins. Where's Alabama in that scenario? Are they behind Michigan? Who's getting left out? Part of this, I believe, is what every school except Notre Dame has is they have allies within conference among fans. So maybe you didn't go to Michigan or maybe you're not a Michigan fan, but you're a Wisconsin fan and you're probably going to take Michigan side over Notre Dame side. And, and I was expecting this question. So I, I, I thought about it and here's my scenario for you guys. If you give me a second, imagine uh, myself and Michigan proponent, Dan Wolken are having a conversation about this. You know, my, I'm, I'm, you know, giving Notre Dame side, he's giving Michigan side and you two, you're both, you know, sensible, smart college football viewers. But for some reason you've been hermetically sealed all season and and you have no idea what's going on. And you come out of this, you know, bubble and you're listening to Dan and I talk and I'm talking about how Notre Dame beat Michigan head to head and actually has a better win against the common opponent. And Dan's saying, well, Michigan, they've improved so much over the year in their defense. And you're sitting here back and forth. And then near the end of this debate, somebody tells you, oh, but by the way, Notre Dame's 10-0 and 0 and Michigan's 9-1. You would both go, argument over. <laughs> Why are you guys even debating I, I, I wrote this in the column, uh, my Monday morning column. I, I was watching that playoff show last week when, when um, Reese Davis asked, I think it was the first question he asked Rob Mullins was, you know, take us through the evaluation of Michigan against Notre Dame. And he briefly had a look on his face of like, this is a thing? Like, <laughs> I have all these talking points prepared. That never, it never occurred to us you might ask that. By Just the way, if you use this, so I, I think the only thing that the Michigan proponents would have in this fake debate is that the advanced stats are on their side. And so... Like if you, I, I looked up Sagarin ratings just because you had asked about, or you mentioned Georgia, Michigan. Well, it, you know, using his ratings as the setting the the point spread, uh, Michigan would be a two point favorite against Georgia on a neutral field, but also Michigan would be a eight point favorite against Notre Dame. Michigan is really good; nobody can deny that. But it's not like Notre Dame right. has gotten worse since that game. In fact, that first no. game they didn't have they didn't start Ian Book. And they didn't have Dexter Williams, and I would say those two are the most important players on their offense. I would agree. And you know, our friend, our mutual friend and colleague Pete Sampson had a great tweet on Saturday night where he was talking about how good Dexter Williams was looking, and he said, "Imagine if if they had had Dexter that night, maybe they would have beaten Michigan." <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty funny. It was a pretty funny moment, and. Uh, uh, I, I agree. I, you know, we've got no problem. Michigan's having a great season. But I think you know Notre Dame is already the champions of the Big Ten, judging by whom they've beaten in the Big Ten and where those teams are going. So maybe Notre Dame should just claim that. 
if they go undefeated, there's no question they're go- they're going in. So it's it's and if they lose a game, I've got no problem with anybody keeping them out. Like that's the way I always look at it. For people who who aren't subscribers of the Athletic, what are you waiting for? But uh, if you don't read John's <laughs> column, especially for me, like last week we had a game in the middle of the day. There was a lot of stuff I didn't see. And I usually sometimes I don't get to see uh, I'm not watching half times of some of these games. You had an interesting lead to your bubble screen column this week. And it was about an exchange between Jim Mora, the former UCLA coach, and Emmanuel Acho, former Texas player. Mm-hmm. When you when you're planning on doing your column, is it just like how do you organize in your head? Just like waiting for I don't want to say the outrage moment, but like that was a pretty. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that had happened, and then I read it. I was like, Ooh, that is a, that is kind of interesting, and it kind of like resonates with a lot of people when you see that kind of like because I do feel like on TV and Stu and I have both been part of this a little bit. There is elements of manufactured debate, mm-hmm. not always manufactured, but in that case when it's when it kind of hits a hits a level where it was like whoa that's out of bounds. That's the way the way you portrayed it. That's what it felt like there, right? And we're all veterans of television. Um, yeah, we've all worked in it, and we've seen the egos, and we've seen. And there's nothing wrong with a great, great debate, but there's a point where it gets personal for no reason. I remember having a debate once with a with a guy. I won't use his name here, but like he kept interrupting me while I was talking, just come constantly. And finally, I called him out, and he's like, he said like on air, he's like, "What are you soft?" And I just wanted to reach over the phone and I'm not, a, you know, it just, it's like, this isn't what that's about. And what happened on Saturday night was Acho, who I think is got great energy on air and is, is just a, is a great hire by ESPN was making a point because the, the conversation was, should Tua Tagovailoa have been pulled from the game earlier? And Jim Moore just went into, you know, complete coach mode. And I still don't understand the argument he was making. The argument I think he was making was that if you pull Tua, you're going to lose the locker room because they're going to think you're treating him with favoritism. He's a quarterback. Of course you're treating him with favoritism. It was such a dumb argument, first of all. And then when, when Acho tried to rebuke that, Mora interrupted him. And as I put in the column, his question was, how many national championships have you won? which has nothing to do with anything. And, and I thought I put in the column, why didn't, you know, Acho could have just come back and said, how many Pac-12 championships did you win, Jim? So it was just a bullying, ugly moment. And, and I, if I'm, you know, the guy at ESPN, uh, I'm not asking Jim Mora back next year. Cause there's a, there's a point in this and you guys were on Fox, you know, like you have to be a team player. You can be argumentative. You can make points, but at the end of the day, you can't keep pissing off the guys you're on set with. You know, in three years of doing this stuff on Fox, and I would often be in these panels with Coach Wanstead and Matt Leinert, who did win a national championship, and Joel. Like, at no point did they ever go to the, well, you didn't play. You didn't play. You know, they, <laughs> they, they, you know, they respected the fact that I had was coming from my own perspective. Um, you know, it's funny. Mora replaced Chip. Chip Kelly was on that show last year. By the way, not many mm-hmm. people, it, it seems like it was kind of an accident that you even saw this. Like, who's watching the ESPN2 uh, in-between right. games studio show? But Chip <laughs> Kelly, for ESPN2, you were. Chip Kelly was in that role last year, and I thought he was really good, and he, you know, fit in right. really well. And Mora, the few times I've seen it, is just like, he, I don't know if he just doesn't want to be there, or he doesn't have anything. And the thing is, he, has, it, he did it, TV for NFL Network. This is not new to him. No, but some coaches just never going to get it. 
to go back to the question you had, Bruce, because this is what makes it so funny for me when you said, like, well, how do you know you're going to get this? It's a little bit like sitting there on October 15th. And, and because we're all veterans of this, we know something's going to happen that we can't plan. Like between October 15th and December 1st, some upset that no one can mm-hmm. foresee is going to take place. And you can't, like, you, know, our, you can't just say, well, the season's over because every favorite is probably going to win. You don't know how it's going to happen, but you know it's going to happen. And I come in every Saturday with that sort of mindset. Like, I don't know where I'm going to find something, but I know if I watch enough college football, something is going to take place that's going to be worth writing about. But I can't foresee what it's going to be uh, at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. Hey, John, so I what noticed... You're... Oh, go ahead. So what you're saying is you just know human nature. One of these clowns is going to screw up, and I'm going to pounce. <laughs> or something is, is going to happen. One of these clowns is going to screw up. Or just something weird is going to happen. Uh, I can't remember what happened a couple of weeks ago, but it's it's always something with, with these. You know, there's just too many games. There's too many personalities, and there's too many great moments. I, there's a lot of stuff that just gets left by the wayside. I mean... I'm up at two in the morning watching my time watching USC Cal. And I'll be honest with you at halftime. I thought, should I just go to sleep? But the end of that game, and I don't know if you had a chance to see it since was fascinating because here you have a senior at USC, one of the best players on the team, just losing the game for them, basically Um, with a, with a kind of move you make in in like freshman year of high school. It It was astounding to me. Let me ask you this. So I, here's a sports TV topic for you guys so i tuned into the clemson bc game monday uh, saturday night it was the abc primetime game mm-hmm. I, I guess i just don't usually i think i know like with those abc games you don't even need to turn them on until 8 15 because they're such a big <laughs> so i don't I, for whatever reason i had not seen this yet this year but they do this whole intro that's like as if it's a tv show and showing like mm-hmm. you know the the, the control room and the cameras are turning on, and then they do a big deal out of showing like Chris and and Kirk and Maria as if they're like playing in the game, and uh, it really, <laughs> and and, and, it, and the reason it came to my mind is you know, and Joe Testor is our friend, and God bless him, he's friend of the podcast, but he and his new Monday Night counterparts have taken a lot of flack this year, and I know that one of the criticisms has been that it seems like uh, ESPN is trying really hard to make them be like the stars of the show. Like the show, do do, do people? I, I think Chris Kirk and Maria are absolutely outstanding. But do people really tune into Saturday Night Football because they know they're going to be calling the game? Of course not. Yeah, there was one Howard Cosell. There's there's never going to be another Howard Cosell. And for those of us who remember him, like that was a star. But they didn't do anything to promote. Like I, I don't think Howard Cosell was in a a montage in the beginning of Monday Night Football. It, it's got to be organic. Yeah, I think some of it also, and I, I honestly, I can't, I don't know how many of the 8 o'clock games I've turned on to to see at the beginning either. Uh, so I don't know exactly what you're talking about, Stu, with that. But I do think some of it is... Picture the, the, be- picture the beginning of like an 80s sitcom. Like it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's very much where like they show like... Big sweaters? Like think, think of the intro to like Perfect Strangers or one of those shows where like you, the credits are rolling and... Like they did it. It was very much now in that, that way. Yeah. See now, now Stu, I'm imagining like I'm imagining Chris Fowler riding down the bike path in Santa Monica and Herb <laughs> Street going by him. It wasn't that far from that. <laughs> by the way, you just made me think, Bruce. That 
that the, the, the meme that everybody sees with the, the guy and his girlfriend and he turning back to look at the other girl, they created that on Three's company, basically. That's from where that's, that's on, from. On, or you're, you're kind of saying, you know, kind of uh, bringing it back to that. Or is that actually yeah. where it comes from? That's where, well, like the, the, that, the, 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 the genesis of it moment was 30 years earlier. Yeah. So maybe you're onto something there. But uh, uh, to your point, Stuart, I mean, we're college football fans. I, I, I don't think we're looking at who's playing, right? right Aren't right. we like just sitting there and saying, what's the matchup? Yeah. I mean, I think if it's, if it's a big game, you're going to watch it. And if it's um, like, I'll be interested to see what kind of ratings they get this Saturday night for UC, the, the primetime game is UCF Cincinnati which is very yeah. unique and great for those programs, but college football fans have not to this point shown uh, that they're all that interested in the, the Cinderella story, if you will. Like, I wonder what no. kind of ratings that will get compared to, not, not just like a, no, certainly not Ohio State, Penn State, but even, even this, this game this past week, the Clemson-BC game. So speaking of broadcast crews, now we have to take Joe Davis, Brady Quinn, and Bruce Feldman out of this conversation. <laughs> Just they're recused from this. Debate. Why? Why? Who's well, who's your favorite? It's not related to the to the fittest crew in TV. They if, are the... if that's the case, then we're taking it out. Well, you are the fittest you know, Bruce, crew in TV. It's funny, when I tuned into this, I have not seen a, a Brady Quinn birthday cake. I've seen a Joe Davis ba- baby uh, picture. Here's my new baby yeah. picture. When are we going to get some Bruce Feldman up close and personal moments on that broadcast? I'm scared that you're bringing this up because my my producer Bo Garrett listens to this podcast. So I'm afraid what may be coming out of the woodwork after this comment, but uh, <laughs> Stu, please proceed. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I, I could give him some material. Uh, no, you don't need to give anybody <laughs> any material. Who's your favorite broad? Who's your favorite crew right now in, in college football television? Wow, that's a good question. I I would probably say Bob Wischusen and Brock Huard, mainly because of Brock Huard. I love Brock Huard, and and I've said this before. They did a good little moment on Saturday where they came back to the booth and they were both wearing uh, Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew mustaches, <laughs> uh, which is a nice little touch. But saying that there's not one that's unbelievably over and above everybody else. Like I, I like, I love uh, Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge. I think they do a terrific job. You know, Joel Klatt is as, is as good as it come as, as, as for me, um, play by play guys. You know, I, I feel like what happens, and I've been asked this before, I don't mention Fowler and Herb Street right up top. And it's not, it's just, I don't think they're the best. I think they're good. I think they get the great shows, but I don't, I think they're really solid. I just don't, it's not, it's not a meal that is memorable to me. Whereas, like, it's some of the guys who are a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, another group, you know, I like um, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman this year. I think they're doing a good job. There's nobody doing like a terrible job or anything like that. I, I would just say like week in and week out, I love Brock Ewart's intelligence, his passion, and his candor. And for me, that's why I will listen to any game he does. Stu, I'm gonna back. Uh, I'm gonna back what John says. I work, the first time I ever worked with Brock was on this Overdrive show back at ESPNU, and he was filling in, and I learned so much of about football from him in the break one, you know, like in the breaks where we would talk about stuff, not where he was talking down. He would just say anecdotally some of these things. I'm a big Brock Heward fan as well. Like, you know, you I've seen him in his element, you know, he's a radio guy in Seattle. He's got, I think mm-hmm. more of a personality. I don't know where it's, I don't know if I would call it a dry sense of humor, but 
I think he's really, really good. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. John, I have a semi-bone to pick with you. So um, <laughs> Go this, ahead. Goes back, this goes back to a, a week two game. And I wanted to throw this yeah. at you and give you, because I, I know, I don't know if I would say you, you certainly tweet, but even the bubble screen feels somewhat stream of consciousness. And I think sometimes, mm-hmm. as all of us, but certainly you, too smart for your own good, and your head is clouded with with too much too much memorabilia that kind of surfaces. So yeah. I say all that to get to this. So we have the Stanford USC game week two, and I want to say I might have looked mm-hmm. at Twitter or maybe some, or maybe this came up. You referenced the J.K. McKay Pat Hayden high school connection in line with Amon Ross St. Brown and J.T. Daniels. And right. Any thought, oh, yes. any thought this remember. is going in? And I remember, th- so when I come into a game, I, I can't speak for the Holly Rose or Allison Williams or, or you know, how, how they do it necessarily. But usually I come in with like 10 or 12 sideline, you know, hits their little stories. And we had a bunch of Amon Ra, JT stuff individually and separately um, and, and together and separately. But the game didn't really kind of play out. That was a 17-3 game. Amon Ra didn't do much. But uh but I remember thinking afterwards, I was like, if I had brought that up, where it's, hey, we're going to talk about Pat Hayden, who USC fans now loathe, <laughs> and something that <laughs> happened oh, probably 50 years ago, or 40, I guess it would have been 45 years, 50 years ago when they were in high school together. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, there's no way we could bring that up. Now, I, I mean, I, I think that's something that's you know, kind of maybe Dan Weber-ish, maybe you know, somebody of that era. Where, like if you're a die, diehard USC fan, you might have made that thought. But I'm just saying, I was like, there's no way I could bring that up. I would say the only reason I would argue against that is this: they were championship level team. Um, if it was some team, USC team in the mid '80s that went eight and four, uh, but those are some glory day USC teams, the Pat Hayden, JT McKay teams. And so I, I understand your point. I, I, you know, we're old. I'm older. I'm older than both of you, and uh, and so time is a flat circle. Like the older you get, the more the years seem condensed and yeah anybody under 30 would just say well who the heck is that it would be like somebody trying to tell me about half along cassidy or something so I, I i hear you there it's a very valid argument wow bruce you've really been storing that up i've been saying <laughs> that, was, that was dude this is why I that was not where i podcast. thought that was going <laughs> like, like, sure. no as i but, said it wasn't like, it, it wasn't a real bone that, to pick with you it was more like wait a minute let me let, uh, me, uh, let me let me back throw bat this that's, one that's a valid defense that's well, the defense. But one thing, one thing I would want to ask is why is everybody? And I know he's a freshman, but why is everybody so in love with JT Daniels? I haven't seen anything right now to merit. Like, not that he's bad. It's just that you know, the beginning of the year was USC quarterback. And by the way, and you didn't make this mistake, but how many guys were telling me how young he was as a freshman when right, he's, on air? He's, he was held back. Yeah, he's he's older. He is older as a starting quarterback than Khalil Tate was when he was a starting quarterback, when he started against them. He had one great right. game, and that was when they beat Washington State, which turns out to be, you know, a really big, a really quality win in hindsight. The only game Washington State mm-hmm. has lost. He, had a, he and his receivers right. had a great game that night. But, you know, watching that game the other night against Cal, it's like, and I made this comment on Twitter, it seems like they basically just resorted to JT, chuck it downfield, and hopefully, mm-hmm. one of your, and, and hopefully one of your really good receivers will come down with it. Like, it doesn't we'll seem make like play. there's anything more nuanced going on in terms of, you know, his grasp of the passing game. Speaking no, of I, pass- think I was watching, 
I, th- I think it's more a function of, you know what, he came from this high school modern day where Matt Liner, Matt Barkley, and uh, a former Notre Dame Heisman winner had went to. So he had all these. Mm-hmm. I, I think Cole Brennan went there. So he had this legacy program. He put up ridiculous numbers, and he's following Sam Darnold. And mm-hmm. I think there is, and I'm guilty of this too, I think there is a rush from us in the media to always be out in front of who's the next one and be first, right. and plant our flag on saying, I wrote about this guy first, I sized him up first, you know, I anointed him True. first or whatever. And I think I think we got over, I mean, he still probably will have a really good career at USC, I don't know, but I think there was mm-hmm. so much of a, let's plant the flag, and look, we at The Athletic did a story, I know Matt Hayes did a story, I forgot, I mean, I felt like pretty much everybody nationally did their JT Daniels story before he even enrolled. You know, it, it, in South Bend, we refer to that as Jimmy Clausen syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, well, I mean, there's a lot going on there. I mean, and by the way, uh, just sorry, one, one other thing on that. On the Jimmy Clausen thing, Ian Book may have, a, uh, Ian Book, who I think the only other Power Five offer he had was Leach at Washington State, he may end up having a right. better career, you know, than, than some of these guys who go in as four or five star guys to South Bend. He, you know, he's got two more years there, and you know, outside of your partner, um, could probably have the best career of anybody there in twenty-five years. It, it, like, he's a good quarterback. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm not. He's not too attackable. Don't get me wrong. He is a good quarterback. If he were six foot three, he'd be an amazing quarterback. I think the true freshman. I mean, first of all, with USC, I think the reason we were all. Um, rushing to write about him is that it really did feel like he he, he w- the whole season was going to depend on whether he was ready and you see now that that was absolutely true but you know I think there's been a change in the last few years of, of expectations when Jake Fromm takes his team to uh, the national title game when Tua does what he did in the second half of the national championship game true you know Josh Rosen was pretty good as a true freshman like there's no longer this when it comes to those really highly hyped guys and look what Trevor Lawrence is doing you know, I think people just now right. say like, well, okay, true freshman, big deal. Like, just because you you're a true do freshman it. doesn't mean you can't do it. When, you know, those guys, Absolutely. the Trevor Lawrences are the are the rarity. Look at, you know, I know these Georgia fans keep wanting Justin Fields to play more and more. But when he does, you're like, I don't think he's ready yet. <laughs> uh, Not yet. Nothing and wrong. Guys, nothing wrong with that. Okay. No. By the way, you guys are more studious on this. And, and probably you even more, Stuart, because Bruce has to work and fly every week. But... Do I have this right? Like when Mac Jones was in the game for Alabama the other day, in another world, would Gardner Minshew have been the guy they'd have gone to yes. if he had decided to go to Alabama? Yes. He, he I mean, because that was the story I'd reported on a lot in the offseason. He was he was going. And, you know, basically how Mummy, who was at who was briefly at Jackson State, was not far from there. He obviously knows the air raid better than anybody, save for maybe Mike Leach. And mm-hmm. would help give him a crash course. And it was like, his thing was, let me make one more run at this. Because the thinking was, when he first went through the recruiting process with Alabama, was, because I mean, what's interesting is, so Tennessee, he was waiting to see what happened with Keller Christ. You know, so it's Keller Christ ends up, mm-hmm. you know, going there from, as a grad transfer from Stanford. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. it's going to be Alabama. And the thinking is, well, maybe one of these guys will transfer. I'm the emergency guy, but if not, I get a head head start on my coaching career and I'm a de facto GA. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you Washington State is dealing with the tragedy of Tyler Holinsky. 
and how mummy's out there in the, you know, Minshew's back in Mississippi. And so he showed, you know, he's like, let me make a shot at one more time at the playoff. At the very least, I will learn the mm-hmm. air raid system and that could help my coaching career that way. Crazy it's how that turned story out. Of the season. I wonder if, if, if he had gone to Alabama, like, you know, at the time it was going into the season, the controversy was whether Jalen Hurts was going to lose a starting job. Would Jalen Hurts have lost the number two job? I don't think Mitchell yeah. would have been able to done enough to, to you know, like, because here's the thing I think what happens with a lot of quarterbacks, and you, this is certainly an example of, uh, you know, especially when you have a dual threat guy, they don't realize how good they are in practice until, mm-hmm. like, people are actually trying to tackle them. And then they're like, wow, we can't get this guy down or this guy makes his throw. Right. I don't think they would have known just how good Gardner Minshew is unless he's actually playing in the games. Yeah, I agree. And he's found the perfect place for himself. Like that just It's nice when you see that happen. And when we, we've all watched enough times where you realize some kid just made the choice that wasn't the right choice for him school-wise, and he may pay for it with a couple years on the bench or, or maybe never seeing it. This was... This was nice because Gardner Minshew could have gone through his whole college career, and if he hadn't made this last choice, none of us would have really known who he is. You know, um, we've always he held up Russell Wilson as the, you know, the the rare because most of these grad transfers don't actually end up having that big an impact. Keller Christ is sitting on the bench at Tennessee. You know, we've always held up Russell Wilson to Wisconsin as the the gold standard of that. But if Gardner Minshew ends up leading uh, Washington State to a Pac-12 championship and maybe even a playoff spot. You know, that's as big, if not bigger, an impact than Russell Wilson had at Wisconsin. Correct. And we're sitting here in South Bend saying, like, well, Everett Golson wound up at Florida State. Malik Zaire wound up at Florida. Does this mean that Brandon Wilbush is playing quarterback in Miami next year? Because uh, <laughs> he's not playing at South Bend. Yeah. Uh, they, they could so, use him. I mean, they, they probably could. Interesting uh, use of the big three, by the way. <laughs> the UCF, if, if McKenzie's gone. But one thing, it was funny, and maybe you guys will find this interesting. When I was watching the USC game the other night, what stood out to me, and this is why college football especially is so much different than basketball or baseball, it's the difference coaching makes. Like, USC's got athletes. And as I explained to someone watching the game, like, the the difference with football is coaching matters so much because you've got to do your job. You've got to have discipline into what your job is. And everybody's got to be coordinated because an average team of athletes that's really well coached can beat a great team of athletes that's poorly coached. And, and watching that USC Cal game on Saturday night, and I'm not, I don't want to call Cal average, but relative, they were just a better coached team. And, and it's, it's interesting. And watching Florida State at least this season, it's the same thing. Like, it's so much fun as a, as a connoisseur of this game to watch – teams with less talent beat teams with more talent because what gets done between Sunday afternoon and Friday, it's so important. Well, I think take on that. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think when you look at some of these teams, you see, you know, we, I I think sometimes we define talent as, okay, this guy was a four star. This guy was a five star necessarily. And sometimes it's not that, but you know, look, I I would use John the example. I'm watching Stu's alma mater this past weekend, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they have seven starters who Northwestern was their only Power Five offer. Uh, their the best player on the field was Isaiah Bowser, who's a freshman running back who did nothing mm-hmm. till a month ago, and then he right. faced a top five rush defense and ran for like 150 and basically put the team on his back and. 
you know, the, the recruiting coordinator was telling me he didn't even have an offer from Cincinnati and his Ohio kid. Wow. But I think this speaks to really good coaches, especially at the college level. I don't want to say they can will a, a program to, you know, near the top 25, but I think Stu's alma mater with Pat Fitzgerald is a great example of that, you know, where it's it just, is. It really it's is. in his image. And you Sorry, go ahead. All right, go ahead. So you do this freaks thing, you know, like in the freak. It's it's so entertaining to read your freaks pieces every year, but it's great to have freaks. But you also need like coaching. Nobody doesn't want a freak on their team, but a well coached team is, is a really important thing. And the other thing, really quickly, as a former high school wideout, that catch is it Skaronek? Skaronek. Stewart, is that how you say it? Skaronek. That was the best catch I've seen all season. That was amazing what he was able to do. Body control arm control with that football. I was worried that they were going were to there. overturn it. Yeah. Yeah. I was not far from it. I could not, I, it was one of those things where if it was ruled an incompletion, I'm not sure they could have overturned that. But, and, and as uh, somebody in Northwestern told me that kid is but before the game, I said, do you have anyone where it was like a head to head battle between Iowa and Northwestern? And that was the kid. And he turned out to be the hero of the game. Oh my God. Like watch his arm control with that football. It's a catch. I mean, I thought it was totally a catch. But that's so hard to do. What that kid did, it was a really impressive play. Yeah, and Bowser, like you said, I, I agree 100%. We're running out of time no! here. I mean, no! all the conversations with you, you know, we can, we can go on forever. Um, yes, John, you're, you're, you are like the Kaylee Hartung of The Athletic. We just, uh, you were one of our favorite people to have on. You're just a, a ray of sunshine. Nice to hear. That was quite a callback, well, Bruce. So Kaylee came What's on. That? that was quite a callback. Kaylee came on what, like three years ago? No, I think it was like before her. She left to go to CNN or whatever. But I think that was yeah. And she was. I remember we were both blown away by what a good guest she was. So take that as a high compliment, John. Well, I really appreciate that. That's very nice of you guys to say. And you know, now I'm just going to go back into my cocoon and wait until next year when I hopefully will get a call from you guys. So you know, that's that's great. And I'll leave you and your listeners with one thing, really quickly. That's timely. This morning. If I'm reading this correctly, Georgia has announced series with both Texas and Clemson in the coming years. And my thought is, does Georgia know something about the end of days that the rest of us do not? Because I think maybe they're just making these promises knowing we're never going to actually hit the year 2029. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's we could do a whole podcast on how stupid I think it is that these teams make these these ADs make these deals 12 years ahead of time. You know, you don't know who the coach is going to be. You don't know what kind of shape your program is going to be in. The AD is probably not, not going to be there. Nobody involved in it is right. going to be there. And then whoever happens to be the coach in 2029, let's say they're in massive rebuilding mode and they're going, son of a bitch, who left me with this schedule, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, John, uh, the last thing I would say to you is, you know, you obviously uh, probably offended some Michigan fans on this podcast. So, just beware, Michigan's on a revenge tour. I don't know if you've heard this. Oh, um, but it never leaves the Midwest, so I'm fine. Okay. It's like a Bob Steger tour in the late 60s. I'm just, it's I'm just... a little concerned that, that Chase Winovich is going to show up at your apartment and, uh, <laughs> and invoke some revenge. But other than that, you should be all right. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take it. I'll be fine with that. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be here, even though Notre Dame is playing New York. I'm going to be on my couch on Saturday, watching all the games because that's what I do for for the athletic. I don't go to games. I'm here to serve you. That's dedication, my friend. You're welcome. <laughs>
Thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to have you. Guys, thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Bruce, it's mailbag time. What do you got for me, Stu? And as always, everybody, send your podcast, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. we got a lot of good ones this week. From Mark Weaver. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Love the pod. I got curious recently, given the dominance of Clemson and Alabama, both this season and over the last several seasons, so we looked it up and saw that either Clemson or Alabama has been the AP number one going back to the middle of 2015 when Ohio State was number one. That is pretty incredible. Three-year span, and you've only had these two teams uh, as AP number one. If things hold form this year, it's highly likely that Clemson or Alabama will be number one at year's end. Who do you think will be the next team that's not those two, ranked number one, and when will that be? That's a good question, because you would think they were going to be preseason number one. Tua is, you know, he can't leave for the NFL till after after next season. Yep. So I think, and and Trevor Lawrence is not going to get worse. I mean, he's going to be there at least two more years. I mean, I, regardless of who wins the national championship, I would think Alabama would be preseason number one next year just because of Tua. So, and also, you you think Clemson's going to lose a? I mean, they're going to have still good D line. They're going to lose a bunch of guys that were that decided to come back. So, oof. I have my answer. Uh, why don't you go first? It'll be Georgia, and it'll be sometime next season. Your banking on the big recruiting is okay. Here, let me go further. Is Justin Fields going to be their quarterback when they're number one? Gosh, that I don't know. Jake Fromm has done nothing to merit losing that job, and. Uh, and he's got at least another year. Hey, what did Jalen Hurts do to lose that job? He had one shaky half. But Jalen Hurts had a weakness. It was no secret he wasn't a great downfield passer. That is definitely not the issue for Jake Fromm. So I, I honestly don't know how Kirby's going to manage that. If Justin Fields might transfer, who knows? But they've, they've recruited at such a high level. Um, they're obviously not that far apart from Alabama and Clemson to begin with. So, uh, you know, I think they will contend for the national championship. First of all, they're not out of it this year, obviously. And I think they'll contend for it next year. So they will be number one at some point next season. That's a pretty good answer. I, I, you know, you, uh, as you pointed it out, I'm, I think that's a pretty strong answer. I can't disagree. Uh, this next question from Josh Peterson. Stewart, in an email mailbag question over the summer, you were asked about Kirk Ferentz and his future at Iowa. All the concerns you seem to have have come home to roost. Where is the program going under his tenure? Of all the years to get another division title, this is it. Wisconsin is down. Nebraska isn't there yet. Purdue was up and down. And yet, Iowa will be going to a middle-of-the-pack bowl game in year 20 under Kirk Ferentz. And if they finish unranked, it'll be the ninth time in the last 10 years they've done so. What do you make of that, Stu? I think you feel that... Well, first I had to look up what I said, and I now remember that it was about the fact that they you know, re-upped them to like, like twenty twenty-seven well, or something like that. They did. They did that, and God bless their AD for the most one of the most one-sided deals in, in college football. Um, no, it's the fact that Scott Frost comes to Nebraska. You know, I think we. It's been a rough year, but I think we both agree the future is bright there. If the Louisville job hadn't come open, Jeff Brom was probably going to be there for a while. Uh, P.J. Fleck is having a rough year, but future's bright there. Northwestern's not going anywhere. I mean, Iowa at this point is, is there's just nothing. They're not bad, but there's nothing there to, to make you feel like, oh, they're, they're going to, you know, next they didn't get it this year, but next year they'll win the Big Ten. Like, uh, this, frankly, this team had no reason to have four losses. It's got to, 
they've got a decent quarterback. They've got an NFL tight end who Scott Docterman pointed they out. Have, they whoa, have they have two NFL tight ends. Two NFL tight ends. The and other guy is really, really good. And they've too, got a good so. defense, and and yet they find ways to lose games like that one the other day. So I, I don't, you know, the only thing I was, that I could say is that at least Kirk Ferentz has kind of become, you know, more relaxed and easygoing, and he goes for he goes for it on fourth down now. But in terms of uh, larger picture, you know, if you're, why would you think that this is going to be anything other than a eight and four on average kind of team? I think they're good. I, I just think that where they are right now, I think they have three young linemen that they start on the O line, and all those guys will be back. And the question has been, they have not run the ball very well. You know, Nate Stanley, I think, is is very talented. And you said two tight ends. Now they, uh, you know, I think they were shaky at receiver last year. They're much better at receiver. But the run game, Akram Wadley moved on. And they really haven't had an answer for that at this point. They have three running backs. We thought Makai Sargent, who started the Northwestern game, would have. He's a JC guy who it has some buzz inside the program, but they really didn't get it done against your alma mater Northwestern. And, and, uh, you know, I, like I said, I think they're a good team. I, it wouldn't shock me if next year they had a better year and you start hearing, well, they are like all more cohesive or, you know, who knows what, you know, but just, they just have been a little out of sync. And I, I, I don't know if there's any one reason to, put, you know, put your finger on that. I agree with what Josh said. I mean, no doubt Wisconsin's down, Nebraska is coming, but they are not not there yet. Everything he said was right. Um, and if you look at Northwestern, I mean, look, even if they had won that game this past weekend, Iowa still wasn't going to win the Big, the big Ten West. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's, a, it's an odd year. And I still think he's a really good coach, but I, I can hear a little of the frustration. I get it because uh, they're talented and this is a – this was the year to get that division. You're always bringing up my coach rankings. Where where would, would Kirk Ferentz be in your top 25? He probably would be in the back of the top 25. I don't think he'd be in my top 25. Like, oh, I I, I mean, I remember your top 25. He wasn't in there. So yeah. Obviously. Like, I, I would put him over. Like, you had Rocky Long in there. You had you had some other, a few other guys in the fringe. I'm like, oh, I don't think that guy. I wouldn't have that guy in there. I mean, so, we so wait, timeout, timeout, timeout. So you think, and this is bad timing, San Diego State just had a terrible loss to UNLV, but in general, he's been winning. Rock, you think it's more impressive for Kirk Ferentz to, he went to a Rose Bowl in 2015. Other than that, they've been kind of about 500 in the Big Ten for about 10 years now. Uh, you think that is a more harder thing to pull off than Rocky Long winning 10, 11 games a year at San Diego State? I think Rocky Long is a really good coach, but also San Diego State is probably one of the is is as good a job as there is in terms of you're surrounded by recruits compared to what you know the rest of the mountain west has you also play in a dilapidated NFL you do. stadium it's, it's a, it's a with very little no fan support that. but again the talent surround you in san diego that's better than any like you have the best talent base by far in that in that I mean, go go talk to Craig Bowl or go talk to, you know, there's just not a lot of players in those other places. Or go ask Bob Davey. I mean, it's just it's just different. Again, Rocky Long's a really good coach. I But I'm looking, I'm like, you know, what Kirk Ferentz has done is pretty impressive. Well, if you're talking about over his career, yeah. I mean, I think he's, I mean, 20 years at any place is amazing. And in that time, they went to a Rose Bowl. They went to two Orange Bowls. I think they won three Big Ten titles, though it's been a while since the last one. 
So, you know, in terms of career achievement, absolutely. But if you're naming who, who are the 25 best coaches in college football right now, this is Kirk Ferentz since 2010. Eight and five, seven and six, four and eight, eight and five, seven and six, 12 and two, Rose Bowl, eight and five, eight and five, six and four. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I mean, look, you have a, you have a good, uh, you have a good leg to stand on. And to be honest, of the guys you have in your top twenty-five, the only ones that I would say, well, one of them kinda... got fired this weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, do you regret having Petrino in your top twenty? You had him like fifteen or sixteen. Mm-hmm. Good question. You were coming off the Lamar Jackson era. There was really no reason to think they would implode like this. Um, By the way, he, he wasn't the guy who wanted Lamar Jackson there. I know he's on his team, but it wasn't okay. like he was the one going out for him. But the funny thing is, it's like, I think I sent kind of a mixed message because I have him on that list, but I also forecasted exactly what happened, that they would implode uh, once it was all his own players. So, you know, if you can't recruit and you can't manage a staff or hire a good staff, that's that's two-thirds of the battle. Your, your X's and O's can only get you so far. So, yes, in hindsight, I think I had him ranked too high. So would you eat Kirk Ferentz over Bobby Petrino? Well, we know, he's a, we know he's a better human being. One of them has a job right now. One of them doesn't. So uh, I would have to say, uh, I don't, look, I mean, you're asking me that right now. As two and eight, just one of the most, you know, poorly coached teams in, in the country. So I don't think I could justify having Bobby Petrino over much of anybody. Okay. Like if I were, you know, just to, throw this all out there if i'm quibbling with your list the three guys i would probably quibble the most at this point would have been uh petrino as high as you had um gus and rocky long wow you are not a rocky long fan um no i like rocky long i just don't know if i would have him i mean you have you have rocky long ahead of leech by the way the thing with doing a list like that is it's hard not to get caught up in what happened the past season. You know, as much as I try to say, oh, it's about the last three years or five years or whatnot, like you're coming out when you're coming off the season Auburn had last year, you're going to be high on Gus Malzahn. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head what Rocky Long did last year. I will look it up. They were good. They've been, they've, they've they've been, been pretty good for a few years. And then somebody has a bad season and you look like an idiot. I remember I had Mark D'Antonio in my top four or five the year before he went three and nine. And at that point, you know, we weren't even sure whether he was going get, to get it back together, much less have uh, the kind of season he had last year. So, Look, I'm sure if you read this, did this list again this year, you'd have to bump somebody because you'd stick Lincoln Riley in there. And you don't have him because he only had one year, and That's I get right. that. Yeah, well, I mean, you, unfortunately, you, Bobby Petrino vacated a spot for us, <laughs> so it's not going to be very hard. And I don't think I'd have Gus Malzahn in there either. Uh, James Birdsong, hey, Bruce and Stu. I think a lot of fans are overlooking just how potentially chaotic the Group of Five berth to the New Year's Six, New Year's Six Bowl games could be. Goes to the highest-ranked Group of Five conference champion. UCF is the presumptive favorite, but if the Knights were to falter down the stretch, who replaces them? Cincinnati, Buffalo, Utah State, UAB? Who you got? All good, interesting choices. Here's one, and I'll be honest, and this is full disclosure. Stu, you pointed something out to me off offline. Army, 8-2, and two, and obviously not a Power 5 team, is not in the mix for that. But here, you know, Army has had such a great season. And one of their losses, they lost at Duke. Now, that wasn't that close. But they lost at OU, gave the Sooners all they could handle, and lose 28-21 in that pay-per-view showdown. First of all, do you think they should be in the mix for that? I mean, would it 
I mean, is that just that's a? I mean, they're an independent, so they're not. Well, Notre Dame's an independent, though. They're like in the system. No, Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame doesn't actually have like some sort of guaranteed entry to that system. They just have to finish high enough. Right, but my point, and again, now they're a two-loss Army team, not a one-loss. It's not their nine and one. But if they were, shouldn't they be eligible to play in that? I mean, you're talking about a technicality. They're that's the, it goes to the highest-ranked Group of Five conference champion, and they're not in one of those conferences. So, the the only way they can get in is to just finish high enough. And and I, I don't think they're even in the playoff rankings right now. Are they? They should be. I'd love to see Army make the top 25 this week. No, unfortunately for them, you know, they're coming off. They played Lafayette, who's an FCS, and they're going to play another Lafayette. They're going to play Colgate, and they're going to get Navy, who's having the worst season they've had in a long time. So it's not going to boost their stock much. No, they're not going to get in, obviously. Um, The interesting one he brings up is UAB, who is, I believe, 9-1. And And guess who UAB plays this week? Is this a game where they're going to play an SEC school, I believe? They are playing at Texas A&M. Uh-huh. Uh, Texas A&M did not, uh, you know, this is the week every, almost every SEC team plays their body bag game, but unfortunately, A&M did not realize they were actually scheduling a really good team who leads the country in scoring defense. So, I mean, it's right there for the taking. I'm not saying they can pull it off or will pull it off, but if they beat Texas A&M, knowing how much respect the committee has for the SEC, I mean, Buffalo doesn't have a win like that. Cincinnati doesn't have a win like that. Utah State doesn't have a win like that. UCF doesn't have a win like that, although... Pitt turning out to be a pretty good win for them. So, by the way, you know it's weird because I went back and you know the job that Bill Clark's done there has been really, really something. Their loss is kind of a head scratcher. They lost to Coastal Carolina, who is just a 500 team, and you know it's it's like wasn't even close. They won. They Coastal Carolina beat them by like three touchdowns. There's a there's some sort of study or story to be done. I don't have an explanation for this. Maybe the coaches in these conferences could explain it. But you see a lot of those in the Sun Belt and Conference USA and the MAC, where not that there aren't upsets in the major conferences, but there are a lot more like that. Like, take a look at um, Old Dominion season this year. They, they, they haven't, you know, they, what is their record? But they beat Virginia Tech. This week they beat North Texas, who's one of the better teams in that conference. And yet... They've also yeah. lost to a bunch of bad teams. You know, you'll see, you'll just see sometimes these inexplicable weeks where a team who's one of the better teams in that conference will suddenly lose to one of the worst teams. I don't, yeah, I don't know what that it, is. It's weird because, like I said, this game wasn't even close. Now, Coastal blew the game open and the, they outscored them twenty-seven to nothing in the second half. But when you look at it, it wasn't like a bunch of turnovers. There was one turnover for UAB, none for Coastal. The only thing I look at is UAB had 15 penalties in that game. I'm sure that didn't help. So I, I, you know, I don't know what the heck happened that day, but that's an interesting one. But anyway, as we digress into... But to answer his question, you know, first of all, Boise State had a big win over Fresno State this week, this past week, and uh, now they'll play Utah State for, the, for that division. Uh, I think Fresno State will probably still come out of the other side. So if it's not UCF then probably next in line would be Cincinnati, assuming they run the table. And after that, I would think it would be the Mountain West. It's hard for UAB or Buffalo to have the strength of schedule. Though, like I said, UAB beats A&M and then wins Conference USA. That's, uh, that's a pretty good thing to have on your resume. <clears throat> Jamie, here's a, you're, you're a TV sports uh, personality. Jamie Boyle from Grand Rapids, Michigan, mentions that he went to the Ohio State-Michigan State game this past weekend. And it reminded him 
of all the reasons why he loves college football, the band, the pageantry, uh, all of that. But it also reminded him of the thing he despises most about attending a game, the endless wave of TV timeouts. True or false, in 10 years when we watch a college football game, networks will have found a way to move to a World Cup-style format where only the TV, the TV timeouts only happen at the end of quarters or halftime. Wow. Um, I've seen some of that, like where I think Monday Night Football now has, has a similar kind of halftime where it's, it's kind of rolls through and it adds. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a TV executive. I don't know how that would uh, how that would happen. I think there could be some of that, but I don't think you would ever they would ever go entire quarters without commercial breaks. It's just the amount of money that the networks spend on this. They got to find a way to make yeah. it back. So. Yeah, we have we have somebody in their truck who's basically one of their main jobs is making sure, you know, that part of the broadcast is is balanced, right? So you know, it's I'm sitting down there and I'm obviously listening to the broadcast in my in my headphones, but I'm also listening to our producer, and so just on you know whether we're going to have okay, this is going to be a this is going to be a sponsored element, this is going to be a half a minute, this is going to be a longer break. It's just you know, there's such a there's such a tension to it because like I said, you know, these are, these are such huge deals that the networks are paying and the money and the business coming out. I just think that's just the reality of college sports as a, as a, as a huge business and a huge corporate business. People don't realize this, but you know, as much as live sports has become such a premium because people actually have to watch the commercials and, and, um, and they get big ratings, they often are still a money loser for the networks because just, they have to, they've spent so much on the rights that it's just almost impossible to turn around and make a profit off of it. So if you notice, if you watch a college football game now, and I've noticed Fox has a lot of these, they find more and more ways to work sponsors into the broadcast. Like Joel Klatt does like a, some sort of telestration. I forget what the sponsor is, but he has to actually say before the telestration, this is the AT&T smart blah, 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 you know, like, um, or well, like, we have like a Duluth training, trading toughest player, or, or I believe that's what it is. Yeah. So that kind of sponsored element. If where any of these companies, about. by the way, would like to sponsor the Audible, they can email theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We're always open to new sponsors. How about we get somebody to sponsor the weekly shout outs too? Hmm, I'm trying to think who that, who, who, who would make sense for that? Who has something to do with shouting? microphone company no there's like a there's like a isn't there like a get stains out of your clothes shout ah good point i as soon as we get off the podcast i'll be looking up who the the right person to contact (laughs) is i don't i don't think they're going to advertise on a college football podcast nigel pullman nigel camel nigel pullman nigel campbell pullman washington guys i was at dinner tonight and we were discussing wazoo I actually think that we are properly rated at 8th, maybe even slightly overrated if I'm honest. However, my brother insisted that if we were USC with the exact same credentials, we'd be number 4 or number 5. My argument back was that the committee was supposed to disregard brand names and that that wouldn't be the case. Do you two feel like they, the committee, actually do a good job disregarding brand names or do you feel like it frequently swings their judgments? I think it does. I I, I think they're both right. You know, when he's talking about if they were USC, well, let's be honest. If they were USC, they'd be playing Notre Dame. USC yeah. would have, USC plays a much tougher non-conference than Wazoo plays. USC also played at Texas, whereas Wazoo's non-conference is not helping them at all. I mean, it's like. But, I but if you remember, Washington two years ago had a very similar, terrible non-conference schedule, and same record, and they were uh, 
this was not an issue for them. So I think he's right. I think, but also, Stu, I think some of what's happened, and this is, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate for Washington State, the Pac-12 is, was really down last year, obviously 1-8 and eight in the bowls. They're even further down if you look at how the perception of the league is this year. So who are the teams we thought were going to be good? We thought Washington was going to be really good. Well, they're not really good. They're pretty good, but they're not really good. Stanford, down. Oregon, probably a little worse than what we had thought. Uh, USC, I didn't think they'd be very good. They're even worse than that. I mean, the, the only one who I, I think in the conference, other than Washington State, who has like exceeded exceeded expectations is Arizona state just because we all thought Herm would like, would like burn three timeouts before the, before the first, first play of the game, you know, it was just <laughs> turns like, out, turns out he's competent. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, looking at that, it looking at it now, first of all, by the way, Washington state could potentially win the PAC 12 and, and be 12 and one. And at the end of the season, not have a single win over a team that finishes ranked. I mean, Washington was 25th last week. So, even and they're not going to get it. They're not yeah. going to get a ranked one over a team in the South. I mean, I assume like, like maybe Utah can go nine and three, and then they'd beat them. And so, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't that's, think Utah nine and four would yeah. still probably be in the top twenty-five. I mean, that's probably their best hope is Utah's nine and three, and they would probably be in the top twenty-five. But uh, you know, they could end up playing ASU or Arizona, who would not be ranked. So. Uh, if I'm looking at it right now, saying they would be number five, eh, you look at the teams that are ahead of them, I don't think they, I don't, if this were USC with the exact same resume, would they be ahead of Georgia? No. Would they be ahead of Oklahoma? No. I do think they'd be ahead of seven and two LSU though. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. So so minimal bump there, but I think brands play a big part in the committee, but they play a big, I mean, they play a big name for all of us. Like we're not. We're all susceptible to brand bias. Uh, it's a big part of college football, and I just think um, those guys are human. Finally, from Scott Schwartzkoff, Stu and Bruce, longtime listener, back to the Fox Sports days. Thank you very much. It's increasingly, it increasingly looks like my buffs are going to lose seven straight to finish the season and move on from Mike McIntyre after the season. That had not dawned on me that they, it's true, they started 5-0, and and they've lost five straight since then. Um, given the challenges of the job, who do you think is a realistic target for the Buffs as their next head coach? Well, let's just start with if that happens, if they go five and seven, do you believe they'll fire McIntyre related? If they do find a way to get to six, uh, would he save himself? I think if, if they lose the last seven, especially, you know, I think I started hearing a lot of this chatter inside college football circles, uh, after that Oregon state loss, I think it's a very real possibility that they could have a coaching change there. Um, they close with Utah at home this week, obviously big game for the Utes. And then they're at Cal, who I'm going to chalk that up as an L the way Cal's playing. Yeah. Uh, look, there's one of the names I could, I could see them going for, and he hasn't been that receptive, but it might be one he consider is Boise State's Brian Harson. Hmm. I could see that being a possibility there. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those where you look at it and go, okay, well, who would make some sense? Would they go after like a Jimmy Lake? who's in the conference is a really well thought of defensive coordinator at Washington. I could see that being a job that like, I know he's somebody who's going to be really choosy when it comes to opportunities, but I think that'd be a hard one to turn down. I don't know if a Ryan day who's coached three games at Ohio state, I think his name will come up and I could see that being a possibility. Let me just make a little bit of a counterpoint here. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not at Colorado. I don't know what the fan kind of, uh, where they are right now, but 
if you can't come up with an obvious, like, you know, Louisville, Jeff Brom, obvious, home run. If there is no obvious name like that, maybe you don't need to fire Mike McIntyre. He did win 10 games two years ago. Um, I don't think he's forgotten how to coach. And also, I mean, think about the run of coaches they had before him. You know, do you really want to risk ending up with another John Embry, Dan Hawkins? You know, these guys set that program back tremendously. So that, that would be my gauge. Like, is it really the end of the world if he goes five and seven? Do you not think he could turn around next year? LaVisca Chenault will be back, among others, and go 7-5 and five or 8-4? and four? Oh, That's a fair point. Look, I mean, I, I think a lot of what you said is common sense, but I think it can be a tough sell, especially how bad the South, the Pac-12 South has been this year. Right. So, I don't know. It's not the AD who hired them, and I think there's some you know frustrations clearly building. Could they, get, just, could they get Matt Wells? I think they could get Matt Wells. No. I definitely think they could. I think that would be a um, smart one. Yeah, he's a good coach, and he's a uh, he's one of these guys who was kind of a hot name two years ago, and then he had a down year. And now Jordan Love is playing really well, and he's somebody who I think like I don't know how much time you spend around him, but like Matt Wells is like I feel like anybody who's around him comes away really liking him. He's a very very likable guy, and I think you see how he's done there. Like he's you know. Uh, I mean, that's not that easy of a job there, and he's done well. I think he's a hot name, or will will heat up now, certainly with this year. It's just, you know, this is not going to be a year. Now, there may be some domino effect. Look, I mean, you mentioned, we talked a little about Bobby Petrino in Louisville. Certainly, if Jeff Brom does take that job, I mean, I could see Purdue maybe trying to replace him with Neil Brown. I mean, then, you know, I, I think that would open up the Troy job and you get a little bit of dominoes where you don't get the dominoes when the coordinators get hired. But, uh, we'll see. I mean, I think there will be much less than we had last year, but you know, if a USC opens up, if some of these other ones come open and, you know, we could certainly see uh, K state opening up Colorado, potentially maybe Rutgers. I don't know. It's it, it's tough to get a read on what's going to happen because, like I said, I was under the impression from from people I talked to close to USC that that uh, Lin Swan, the AD there, was very, very in the corner of Clay Helton wanted to give him every chance as long as the bottom didn't drop out. Well, they lost to Cal, and if they lose this weekend to UCLA, I think that would be defined by a lot of people at the bottom dropping out. I mean, if so. they lose to UCLA, he's done. There's no way you could bring him back. They're t- UCLA's 2-8. and eight. But I guess the question is, if they beat them and lose to Notre Dame and finish 6-6, six and six, is Lin Swan ready to, to support him? You know, Clay Helton pointed out that, you know, Clay Helton was defending himself and pointed out that, hey, you know, Notre Dame had a bad year a couple years ago, and look at them now. I would say the difference is Brian Kelly had already gone to a national title game at that point. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the difference is Brian Kelly, a lot of people wanted him early on, whereas I don't think anybody at USC was really in Clay Helton's corner that strongly. I mean, you know, it would be it would be very not it would be very uncharacteristic of a major college football program if he actually did bring him back even even at 6 and 6 because the fans have, have already given up on him. So, how are you going to sell people on next season when everybody's already kind of made up their minds that he's not not the guy that's going to lead them into glory? So, uh, by the way, real quick on Matt Wells, you mentioned that he had a down year. He actually had a down it's an interesting trajectory he's had there. Nine and five, ten and four, then six and seven, three and nine in twenty sixteen, 
back to six and seven in a bowl game last year. And now here they are, nine and one, top 15 in the AP poll. And the interesting thing is Matt Wells made his reputation on defense. But this year's team, I mean, they put up 800 yards this past weekend. They are one of the most powerful offensive teams in the country. All right. You want to do our shout-outs? Uh, yes. All right. You want me to go first? I want you to go first, yes. Okay. My shout-out is to Pat Narduzzi, the Pittsburgh head coach. A lot of people have written them off. I think people wondered why he got the contract extension. But in the last, really since September ended, the Panthers are playing about as well as anybody outside of Clemson. They beat Syracuse, which is it looks like a really good win. They gave Notre Dame their toughest game on the road, barely lost that. Beat Duke, won at West Virginia, who was, who was ranked, and just blew out Virginia Tech. And all of a sudden, Pat Narduzzi's run game is out of control. Against Duke, they ran for almost 500 yards. And against Bud Foster's defense this past weekend, you know how many yards per carry they averaged? I know they had... Four- 492 yards. Holy moly. I uh, made sure to let Dave Wanstead know that that uh, that 492 yards is the most since Tony Dorsett was back in the backfield for them. Yeah. So shout out to Pat Narduzzi. He's got it going a little bit. We'll see. I mean, look, by the way, they did. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they knock off the Clemson team that won the national title? They did. They did. So it's a weird thing where they they and then they knocked they knocked off ten and Miami last year. So they've had these moments that they just haven't really been able to string it all together. But right now it does look like they're gonna um, uh, win that division. By the way, and we can, I don't know if it's if it's even uh, grammatically correct to call Wanstead Narduzzi's press uh, predecessor. Or he's being his predecessor because there was like eleven coaches in yeah, like a six-year span. Yeah, I mean, he most definitely was not his predecessor. But once that had that giant killer, you know, flying the ointment win over uh, West Virginia that that uh, you know when he was a pit. So don't count out the Panthers for for shocking us. Okay, my shout out is going to go to Tony Sanchez at UNLV. It's been I don't know well how long since UNLV was good. Couple, couple decades. Probably since Suge Knight was playing there. And he um, certainly looked like now he's he would be the latest one to come and go there, and, and maybe he still will. But they got off the mat. They won at San Diego State against you know your most overrated coach in America, Rocky Long. <laughs> I didn't say that. Come <laughs> San, on. San Diego State, obviously, really good team, seven and three. They go go there on the road, beat them twenty seven twenty four. They're still only three and seven, but at least he's showing some signs of life there. Uh, we'll see how they finish it out. All right. Very nice. As always, guys, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And you know, you've, you, some of you have emailed us telling us you love the long podcast. Well, guess what? This one is going to be probably checking in as our longest ever. So congratulations. You're going you're to get this super-duper bonus episode. Off, strangely enough, one, one of the most uneventful weekends of the season. So funny how we, we stretch that out, Bruce. All right, well, I wasn't trying, but it happened that way. It happened that way. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producer, Nick Fink, and we'd like to thank Kevin and the Octaves for our intro song, Dangerous. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Read both myself and Bruce and all our other great writers there, go to theathletic.com slash theaudible and get 25% off. 
You can also follow our coverage at The Athletic CFB. You can follow me at SL Mandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. We'll see you next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.